Welcome back to the Property Management Show. I'm your host, Marie Tapman. And today, we're going to share with you an interview I did with Andrew Smallwood during the latter part of 2022. And if you're not familiar with him, he is currently the VP of Revenue at Second Nature, and he's also the host of the Triple Win podcast. We're going to dive into the difference between lifetime value versus transactional value and go into why understanding both is key to having a successful business. As a reminder, this podcast is brought to you by Four and Half Marketing Agency. Since 2012, we have been helping property managers get more owner leads through marketing from websites, SEO, social media, online reputation, paid ads, you name it. Visit fourandhalf.com to learn more. That's F-O-U-R-A-N-D-H-A-L-F.com. And now a quick word from today's sponsor. Now is the time to add pest coverage to your resident benefit package. CoverPest seamlessly integrates with your existing benefit package to give your tenants a world-class pest control service at a fraction of the normal price. Visit CoverPest.com today and mention this podcast to get your startup fee waived. Andrew, I'm really excited to have you on the podcast, especially because, you know, I heard one of your podcast episodes and you were talking about building customer lifetime versus transactional value or like lifetime value versus transactional value. Now, a lot of the points you brought up really resonated with me. Some of them um, include, you know, how the conventional thinking of like winning is getting the biggest piece of the pie or, you know, the focus should just be in maximizing profits. And you also likened customer uh, relationships to a marriage. And that's actually an analogy I myself used in my PM Grow Summit talk um, back in February. So super aligned with you there. And so um, what I want to talk to you about today is how like, you know, in property management, it's so unique because managing people's homes or their biggest asset already makes you entrenched in someone's lives, right? Kind of like a marriage, you're a big part of their life. But just because you're a big part of their life doesn't mean they stick around forever. Yeah. And uh, first off, by the way, thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this conversation and connecting it. You know, I want to start us off by talking about the definition of customer lifetime value. Now, the literal definition is how much revenue you get from a customer for as long as they are your customer. And sometimes when we focus on literal definitions it, like this, it can reduce a customer into like numbers on a spreadsheet, which I know you think is a problem. Can you share your thoughts on why this is a problem? You know, I think the first thought, if I heard your question right, it was, hey, lifetime value in that definition, how are we defining it? How are we thinking about it? And if, it, if it's, you know, from a revenue perspective, is, is there a problem with that or what problems might there be with that? Mm-hmm. I'd probably say, you know, defining re- lifetime value as a revenue metric is, is totally fine. It's totally appropriate. Um, I wouldn't say there is a, a problem with doing that, but w- what can get overlooked, right, if it's the only way that you're looking at things would be that um, when we, you know, when we think about lifetime value, I'm thinking about this as not just what I'm charging and how I'm monetizing, but thinking first about what difference do we make for the customer, right? 
What value are we bringing to the customer? How do we do that? How do we expand that? How do we increase right, the value proposition? Ultimately, if we create new value as a way of expanding lifetime value, mm -hmm. right? Um, if we create new value for customers, how can we make a bigger difference? Because you know, if we make a bigger difference, yes, there's gonna be rewards for that, right? Um, you know, revenue included, but there's also rewards beyond that. And I think um, if you only start with and only end with, you know, how do we effectively monetize this relationship? It, it might lead to suboptimal thinking and behavior and ultimately um, counterproductive results to what you're really after. So I'll, I'll pause there, but that's my initial reaction to your question. I'm curious to know, uh, since you put out that episode of the Triple Win podcast, did you get any feedback at all from people in the industry? Yeah, no, I mean, there's been a lot of interesting conversation, I think, around this. Um, you know, I, I've heard multiple, multiple podcasts uh, separately, but more recently, about an idea of like customer surplus and thinking about one of the cool things about property management is it's a recurring revenue business, right? And so, you know, churn is a big problem in our industry. We're excited to see the NARPM benchmark study that's going to come out, yeah. uh, you know, V2 of that. But looking at the original versions and some early results, you can see it's pretty typical for a property manager to lose 20% of their units, lose 25% of the units in the hot sales market that we had mm -hmm. through the pandemic, right? E even 30% plus. And that when customers are leaving uh, at that kind of rate, it, it makes it difficult to grow the business. And so a lot of property managers experience getting stuck, mm -hmm. you know, somewhere in this 150, 300, 500, you know, 700 range in there. Um, growth comes much more slowly. And until you solve for a churn problem and effective, you know, acquisition, it's like looking at lifetime value as, you know, a, really a way to say, okay, how do we sustainably grow this business? Um, how do we sustainably grow this relationship? How do we increase and bring so much value here that people have such a great experience they would never leave? And, you know, the three North Star questions I'd say at Second Nature are like, how do we create a resident experience so good that residents don't want to leave? How do we create an investor experience so good that they don't want to sell, they want to buy more. How do we create a team experience so good that talent wants to be in this industry and grow in this industry forever? And thinking about it from that kind of expansive uh, point of view and, hey, we can, we can create and make things better here, that, that drives that triple win philosophy that we often talk about. Yeah, and so when we're in the conversation of experiences, right? Like how can we give more? How can we create experiences that are so good people don't want to leave? How do you tie that to you know, money? Because businesses are in the business of making money. Like how do you tie that together? Yeah. Yeah, so again, this is something where it's like, it takes some nuance and again, mm -hmm. thinking through it, working through it, but, you know, we, we believe in who gets to define what a good experience is. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, we believe that's going to be the customer, right? 
are these experiences that people pay for? Are these experiences that people stay for? Are these experiences that they tell all their friends for, right? Like if it's not doing one of those three things, then you have to ask yourself, is it really relevant? Is it what they really care about? But it doesn't mean that you always charge the maximum fair market value or that you're trying to optimize for margin necessarily um, right away and especially in the beginning. You know, part of this can be, again, uh, how do we have a generous market value that grows the value of a relationship for the customer? They're getting more and more out of it over time. And you mentioned in that original video, we, we um, I haven't watched it recently, but I imagine we talked about thinking about the pie, the economic relationship, right? Yes, the longer the relationship goes on, the economic pie you know, grows, but it grows at the same scale. And the challenge will be if people are looking for more value over time and, and the, you know, it's fixed, then the problem is you know, people are gonna want a bigger slice, right? They're gonna want a, the same amount of management for less money, right? They're gonna want uh, the same levels of service, right? For lower dollar amounts um, or higher for the same amount. And so, you know, thinking about, hey, how do we create new value and different value, differentiated value uh, that isn't getting commoditized? Because if we grow the pie, then they are winning, we are winning, everyone is getting more and more out of this. Um, but that takes a willingness from the person creating the value to share the value. Mm. And that's challenging for some people to get over because it's like, I did this, I made this happen. I should be recouping, you know, all of uh, the spoils of my efforts. Like that's that you can see the point of view that would say that's fair-minded, yeah. uh, that it's merited, you know, but, um, but ultimately if you're trying to build relationships for the long term, being willing to share that value uh, and be generous to others is likely to extend, right. The, the relationship over time so that everybody keeps winning. So I'll, I'll pause there, but hopefully that's helpful. Yeah, I, I think it is very helpful. And I'm curious how, what led you, led you down this road because you've been in sales pretty much most, if not all of your career, right? And, you oh. know, the conventional thinking from a sales perspective is you focus on your lead pool, you focus on their deals closed and like, when did you realize that lifetime, customer lifetime was actually important? Mm. Yeah, so I think um, that's an interesting question. You know, so a 100% guilty as charged. I've been in sales for 15 years. Um, that's absolutely true of my career. And yet, you know, what I would say is the way that I think about sales in the way second nature, who second nature attracts, I think, to their company, uh, it's not a conventional approach to sales, right? And I think a lot of our customers and even people not yet our customers, but they just see how we interact and how we show up, they probably, they'd probably say that, like they probably get that, like, yeah, this doesn't look like a conventional group of people over here uh, dressed up in purple suits and whatnot. So, you know, here's what I think, here's what I would say I believe about sales that may be different, that leads to different behavior and, and different results, which is the way I think about sales is it's how do you help people make good decisions, right? So again, what difference am I making as a salesperson starting there? Not what difference is there in my commission check this month and how do I optimize for that, right? How do I close and, and 
say things and do things to people that make them make my commission check go up, right? <laughs> Everyone's been on the other side of that sales interaction. And I, I may be one of the toughest critics um, out there. I'm, I'm empathetic to it. I think it's less the sales rep and, and more the you know, managerial level culture and training that leads to that kind of behavior, how things are measured and um, you know, ultimately how people are incentivized that leads to that behavior. But you know, what I believe in is um, thinking about, okay, what's the customer's timeline? What's their problem? What's their opportunity? What's their goal? And what are the best ways to work on that? And in many cases, it's not been talking to me or working with me. And I, I make a connection, you know, direct them somewhere else. Um, it's just not a right fit. People come to us all the time and we say, you know, they're, they're a realtor who manages six homes on the side. They don't use a accounting software. And we're just like, man, uh, here's some content and resources for you to help you get better at property management. But like, you know, we're not who you're for. Uh, we, we just work with dedicated property managers. And so we're clear on our customer. We're clear on the difference that we make, the strengths and capabilities that we have, right? And we're looking for, do they have a problem that, that we can solve? And it'll be their first time making a decision to deploy a resident benefits package, right? Um, or to make an adjustment to their strategy as it relates to a benefits package. And it's their first time going through that decision process and the many decisions on the way to, to get to success as they would define it. But we've ridden that roller coaster hundreds, thousands of times, right? And so that's what a good salesperson does is they said, hey, we've helped people make these different decisions. Here's a way to think about this and here's some information I can help provide you uh, mm -hmm. to help you make a good decision, whether it's with us or not with us. And, um, you know, I, I think if you take that approach to things, people like that, they appreciate that. Um, you can still hit all of your personal income goals, but it's very much that, you know, you, you reach your goal by helping other people reach mm -hmm. their goal. And as a salesperson, it's important not to just talk to anybody, uh, but to identify, right. Who are, who are the people that my skills, the company, the products I have to offer, are going to bring value to identifying that quickly and supporting them in doing that. Yeah, that's really interesting because uh, I think like you said, right, like it's the whole system and second nature because, you know, in my past life, I was also a salesperson. And although all the corporate materials, all the training said, we are a need-based sales team you know, like at the end of the week, when the, when you report your numbers, like that's not really what you feel like. You feel like, mm. well, they only actually care about how many deals I close and the amount of money we get per deal. And so it always felt like there was a disconnect, which is why I wanted to ask you about this, you know, because it's really tough. You, you like as a human being, it behooves you to want to only sell things people need. But if you have a family to feed and you have a mortgage to pay and, you know, the upper management are like, I don't care how you get it, just get those numbers because they all roll up to the regional manager and stuff like that. So um, I'm, I'm guessing the, the, the way things are done in your sales team um, is very different. That's why you're allowed to have um, a different approach to things. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely true. I think you rightly characterize how a lot of sales cultures are. 
And, um, you know, I, I don't agree. Listen, a lot of people can achieve their goals however they like to, but the things that bother me the most are things like I get LinkedIn messages all the time. I'm sure you do too. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's totally impersonal and it's just, I like, I don't even know who this person is. Uh, there's, they're a total stranger and they say, you know, here's my lead generation services, uh, ironically. And, uh, you know, yeah, would you like to book a 15 minute Calendly meeting? Here's my link. Um, and I'm like, well, you don't know me. You don't know the problems that I'm facing right now. You don't know what I'm working on. Um, you know, you're kind of just throwing a dart out there and hoping, uh, hoping it lands. And I, I, the way I think about building relationships, it's like if you were wanting to ask somebody on a date, like imagine just walking up to them and saying like, hey, do you want to go out for dinner next Friday? You know, it's like, that's the first thing out of your mouth. Like that'd be kind of weird, right? And yet yeah. it's totally normalized in a business setting yeah. um, to say that that's how the approach is going to be. So I, I'm not a fan of it. Um, you know, it, different people find different approaches that work for them and help them hit their goals. So I, I'm, I, don't, uh, I don't mean to totally cast people out or cast a lot of judgment for it, but it, it's not what has worked for me and it's not what I would encourage other people to do. And I think there's a different way of going about it that people just need to be taught. Yeah. And talking about relationships. So when it comes to nurturing the relationships you already have, it's one thing to get someone for a first date, and then it's another to actually go into a longer term commitment. So same with your customers. It's one thing to kind of close the deal in terms of booking an appointment, but then it's a whole other ball game to actually get them signed up and then to stay with you. And so how do you determine what you choose to do per customer? Because you said the person judging what a good experience is, is the customer. And there are a million unique customers. And how do you deliver a million unique experiences? And how do you pick which people get more resources, more TLC from you and your team? Mm, man, great question. And you know, this is one that gets debated a lot. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if there's only one right answer to this question, but I'll offer an answer to this question. Uh, so, <laughs> so there's something people can think about yeah. and work with and do what works for them. But, you know, when I think about this, we had actually Brittany Hodak on uh, one of our recent events. And Brittany is like, um, she's incredible. I mean, she's like the queen of customer experience. And we, we had her on recently, it'll probably be released. We could, we could get a link to the show notes to make yeah. it easy, people will find it. But um, I asked her this question. I said, hey, you know, how, how do you think about um, doing something small for everyone, right? Or doing something big for a few people or just prioritizing in where you focus and invest. And again, this will be values driven. It, it could, your business model may inform, you know, some of the decisions here that you make. Um, but, you know, the way I think about it is I want, second nature wants a great relationship with everybody who wants a great relationship with second nature, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that is true. That's a value. We don't, um, you know, we don't want to treat people as lesser than or close a door or whatever it might be. Not everybody wants, though, the same kind of relationship or depth of relationship. Like, there's plenty of people who are happy to work with us, and you know, they appreciate that there's enjoyable people to talk to, you know, nice people to talk to. 
uh, but they're there to get a business outcome, you know, and, and they may very well be customers for a very long time in that respect. There are other people who I would say we've, we have legitimate deep friendships with, um, you know, and I know four and a half builds great relationships with customers too. So it's, um, it's not always up to us, you know, and that's not always the way I look at it, but if you practice a, a value that we have of radical generosity, being willing to make the first move, right? And you see who's responsive to that. You, you can get into a fun game with the customer of, again, how do we create more and more value in this relationship together? And we have customers buying us drinks all the time. We have customers doing things for us that we totally don't ask them to do all the time. And we're very responsive to that. Um, you know, and, and we try to ask, how do we give first? When both people are showing up that way, you get this nice cycle of giving and receiving and reciprocity that can be very valuable and exciting. But yeah, I mean, it just depends. I think um, you can prioritize top customers and really go for it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's some risks to that approach. There, there's, um, but in my opinion, like on that note, it's really, if someone feels overlooked, Mm -hmm. or someone feels left out because that's the inevitability, yes. right? If you do something really dramatic um, and sometimes we do these things publicly because that kind of enhances the moment for that person, right? And what it means to them. But in, in many cases, some of our actually grandest gestures are ones that people would never know about. They're, they're totally private. Um, and yet, uh, you know, a customer may decide to share that publicly and wh whether they do or don't, somebody may feel, man, I wish you know, I was getting treated that way. Mm -hmm. And when that's cropped up a couple of times, my answer is great. Like, I'd love to talk to you. Let's talk about the kind of relationship you want to have with us. Right. And let's work on and build that relationship together. Um, we can talk about exactly how we do that. Right. So anyone that's game for that, that's how we felt about it. And a number of people are totally fine with other people being treated mm -hmm. really well and, um, you know, they're fine with a different kind of relationship. So I don't know if that's helpful, but that's a little bit of how I think about it. And I think the risk of doing nothing for anyone mm -hmm. in hopes of offending nobody is then everyone feels overlooked. Everyone feels yeah. underappreciated. Everyone feels like they aren't respected. And man, it's, it's, we want our customers to feel how we feel about them. We, don't do that perfectly as good of a job as I think we do. We don't do that perfectly. Um, but customers who make us aware of that, you know, what we are committed to is wanting to have that kind of relationship and wanting mm -hmm. to make them feel how we feel about them. And so we'll continue to work on it. So that, that's where we are. That's how we think about it right now. I really like that tidbit because, you know, indecision is still a decision. Inaction is an action effectively. And so what you're saying is like, it's kind of perfectionistic if you're like, well, I don't want to offend anyone. So I'm not going to do anything. And then you end up making people feel neglected, all of them, rather than offending a small amount of the people you work with, but really making this other set of people who want the higher touch, maybe the, the, the more um, flashy kind of relationship, you know, they value that. So I think that's interesting. It, it is a risk at the end of the day. That's right. That's right. So well um, going back to relationships and from the lens of a property management company, you talk to a lot of property management company owners, decision makers. What do you think 
is the secret. Maybe it's not a secret, but how can a property management company create good lasting relationships with their owners, investors, their residents, especially when they're difficult? I imagine you've dealt with your own set of difficult clients. So are there any tricks, insights that you have learned, used that property management company owners can learn from? Man, great question. You know, I think there's a couple things I could share here. Mm-hmm. I think one is talking to 1500 plus property managers over the fast past five years, something I have noticed um, about a handful of standout property managers is and a general trend. The more that the property manager tightly defines who they're to, to use language four and a half as, mm-hmm. as masters of ICP, ideal customer profile, right? Um, and, you know, I find that stuff, it's like, it's less about the demographic information, a lot of the surface level stuff. And it's much more about what are the problems that this person has thinking about them in a very specific way that we specifically are just passionate about solving, right? What are those problems? What are the situations? What are the identities of, you know, this customer that um, is really tightly who we're for? And, um, you know, focusing there, not just on the customer and how you communicate with them, but your product, how you create value as a company, the more and more you align those things, right? The stronger your value creation is going to be, the stronger your lifetime value should be for both your customer and your company. I've seen that as a trend. And I think that that helps people build great relationships because they're passionate about making that difference. Mm-hmm. That's going to add value in that relationship right? Mm -hmm. For that group of people. And it's common logical thinking to say, uh, I'm going to cast as broad a net as possible, Mm -hmm. right? And I'll catch any kind of fish that's out there, you know, in the space, so to speak, versus I'm going to get the netting of a very specific type so that I, right? And maybe catching a fish sounds uh, a little too like that old way of of sales, but Mm -hmm. thinking about it of of really just, hey, here's the difference that we're making very specifically in a very relevant way for these people, that adds value to relationships. Um, Another thing I think is culture Mm -hmm. and hiring. Like, you know, I love asking in an interview about, tell me a story of when you made someone's day and, um, you know, just like, just made their day, made their week, et cetera. Mm And I've heard stories, incredible stories from people on our team about what they did for a birthday event that was just like, so the extra marathon, not the extra mile, like just so far and above. And people I think who just are called to that, right? Um, You know, build relationships in a way, a a practice we call moment making, right? Which is related Mm -hmm. to the experience culture that we try to build that I think is a practice of people who often connect and just build great relationships. Um, you were talking about difficult customers though, so I'll offer mm-hmm. something there, which is if you got the right fit person and you know, you're connecting, another piece is you're still going to have challenges in the relationship. You're still going to have tough moments, tough things to work through mm-hmm. together. Um, no matter how many deposits you've made in a, a relationship yeah. account, right? The withdrawal may come and, and your check may not bounce, but how you handle that and react to that is still important not just how you proactively build a great relationship. So, you know, I, I take from a guy named Chris Voss, who's an FBI hostage negotiator. 
Uh, and there's probably a lot to learn about property management communication from somebody who's mm-hmm. been a FBI hostage <laughs> negotiator for 20 years, right? And, and I find his style so great because it's not negotiation from a standpoint of competitive negotiation. How do I get the bigger slice of the pie? Yeah. It's about trust-based influence. It's a collaborative style. It's about deeply understanding and demonstrating empathy for the other person. And, you know, a lot of people will talk about the technology, everything happening in our industry. But one thing we know is technology doesn't solve for empathy gaps, yes. right? It won't solve for that. And so there's, we, we still need to think about these interpersonal interactions, how we handle them, uh, what position do we put our people in? You know, mm-hmm. okay, do they get great training from people like Chris Voss? Highly recommend his book. We've got a podcast episode talking to him for 40 minutes. They can hear me totally fail in a, in a mock <laughs> negotiation with him um, and, and hear how he does it really well. So, you know, that's, those are great resources. And also just thinking about the environment that our people are in. If somebody is strapped, bandwidth, et cetera, if they're incentivized and measured on like how many customer tickets I process per day, mm-hmm. well, that's going to lead to how do I be as short with this person as possible and just, you know, get this done versus create the right experience here. That's going to create the right leaving feeling. Take my time and ask questions to understand more deeply what's going on, really solve what's going on here and show that I'm passionate and care about this. I've got a break to be able to reset if I have a tough call and not that let that derail the entire rest of my day. My management supports me in that. Um, so I think it's, you know, hiring, attraction, it's management, it's culture, it's, you know, great communication skills and those kind of tactics can help with this as well as core aligning your company to the value you're going to create for this person. Aligning those things really tightly um, can help people build relationships in a way they're passionate about that feels energizing, invigorating uh, to continue to, to build on over time. I really like that. Um, and so... I'm curious to know the things that you've shared on this episode today, they are very insightful. They're very exciting, but the, like the company you work for second nature has deeper pockets than most other companies, especially the property management company owners who are probably listening to this podcast. And so, you know, it makes sense that larger companies would have more um, resources bandwidth to, um, to kind of give more versus earn more at a specific point in time. And so what would you say to any skeptics in the audience who may be thinking like, oh, it's it's fine to do that once I'm big, but like, you know, I can't afford to do that. I have to cast a wide net. I have to like get any fish out there. And, you know, I can't make wow experiences because I just need to get by. Mm. Man, great question. And uh, I think this will tie really to where we started a Mm -hmm. a little bit before I'm done answering it. So the first thing I want to respectfully challenge would be this, that um, people will say, oh, second nature, like look at the way they show up at NARPA Mm -hmm. Nationals, look at the events, the investment and everything you're saying, I'm positive that that perception is is out there, right? And, and, um, you know, here would be my, my comment about that, which is it, we probably looked a lot bigger than we really were. Because, I mean, just put this in perspective. There are software companies in our space that are multi-billion dollar companies, right? 
um, like a, a very different stage of business, right? Um, than, than where second nature was when we first started doing this stuff. And yet people felt a different presence, right? From second nature. So it's not a question of budget, you know? And I mean, it's not a question of, is there revenue? Is there, is there money in the piggy bank to be able to support that? Like part of this is a values driven commitment. And we made a lot of choices as a team, like, and many times, so we have a value of being relentlessly resourceful. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, our team makes choices that I really respect and other people may totally disagree with. It's, it's an opinion, that's okay. Um, but like a number of people on our team, we, sh- we, we share hotel rooms, like Thad and I, the CEO and I, right? I mean, certainly most CEOs and, and VPs and whatnot, they wanted their own hotel rooms, right? They get their own hotel room. But like, we'd much rather just get a, get a two-bed hotel room, uh, room it up, and then, you know, invest that budget into our customers, right? Mm-hmm. And into those relationships. We'd rather allocate that differently. Um, there's a lot of people that spend money on things that we just don't uh, spend money on. And, you know, we're, we, our team has bought into that idea of radical generosity for customers. They want to have that kind of relationship. And, and we ask not what's the least we can do for our customer so that we can get the most return out of it. The question is what's the most we can do for our customer, right? To build this relationship. Mm-hmm. And that, that approach that we started with, you know, that's a key thought that I've heard a lot of people take away when I talk to them about this. They're like that least we can do versus the most we can do mm-hmm. is a nice contrast of thinking about it. And many of the very best things in building relationships do not cost money at all, or they cost very little money. It's about, um, again, how am I making people feel? Do they feel how I feel, right? What can I do to show them my care, my passion, my interest in them, my curiosity in them, right? What can I do to show them love and appreciation, um, you know, that others may just feel, feel too busy or distracted to do? Like how, how can we go out of our way to express that appreciation? And it's hard. I'll tell you that many times, many seasons, I don't, I don't feel like I'm doing as good of a job as I should be doing investing in relationships. Mm-hmm. That I, I still encounter that feeling all the time. But you know, striving for that, I think, leads us to uh, you know, making some of those decisions. And I'll acknowledge, yes, there's still realities, constraints, but you can write a handwritten note. Mm-hmm. You can record a video and text it to a client, right? I was thinking about you and your investment goals, right? And this is that. And this came up, right? Things that you can do that work at scale, things that you can do that work at a very personal level um, to, that continue to make an impact. And the key is, I think, staying very close to your customer, what their goals are, what their problems are, what difference can you uniquely make and align your resources, whether that's financial or whether it's your skills, whether it's your energy, your attitude, your attention, right? How can you bring the very most of that and do the best work of your life and build the best relationships of your life. That's what we try to inspire at Second Nature, whether it's a small budget or a large budget on, uh, on, our, on our, you know, our CFO, whether it's catching his eyebrow <laughs> or not, you know, um, that's the way we want to show up. And we want to be relentlessly resourceful, get the very best out of ourselves and bring the very best to each moment is what we try to inspire there. I absolutely love that. Well, 
Thank you so much, Andrew, for making time to be on our podcast. It is, it is an honor to have you on our show. And to our subscribers, if you guys haven't checked out Andrew's podcast called The Triple Win, you should. You definitely should. And how can they find your podcast, Andrew? Wherever you listen to legendary podcasts like this one, you can find Triple Win Property Management Podcast there. Th thank you for that. Uh, hope it's a value. People want to be thinking Triple Win. That's a great resource for them. We also have a Facebook group, Triple Win Property Managers, that people can join. And there's, I mean, dozens of posts per month of people sharing examples and ideas about how we build uh, property management in such a way that residents aren't leaving, right? They're staying, we're building lifetime value. Investors aren't leaving, we're building lifetime value. Teams are getting a better experience uh, and we're stacking those wins, win after win to make the pie bigger for everybody. So those are some great resources for folks. Great to be with you today. Thanks so much for having me. Okay, that's all we have for this episode of the Property Management Show brought to you by Four and Half Marketing Agency. Since 2012, we have been helping property managers get more owner leads and grow their businesses through marketing from websites, SEO, online reputation, content, paid ads, you name it. Visit fourandhalf.com to learn more. That's F O U R A N D H A L F.com. If you are enjoying the show, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get our episodes. Thank you so much and see you next time.